What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Hello and welcome. Good day to you. This, my friend, is episode number 100 of the Brain Body Resilience Podcast. I'm your host, JPB, and I am very excited about this episode. I've thought about what to do for episode number 100, and this is a topic that I've been kind of stirring around for a while, and I've mentioned it in so many other podcast episodes. So today we are talking about language and why it is so important and the power it holds. This is such an immense topic. People literally spend their whole careers and lives dedicated to studying this on different um, different levels. So, you know, this is just a, a dip into that pond. But I will give you my perspective and some things that may stir up some, some thoughts and curiosities of your own. So I, like many uh, North Americans, many people of the United States, rather, grew up having to take a second language in school, starting in middle school through high school. But those classes were not entirely useful because that's not how we learn language. If we think about how we learn whatever our first language is, we don't sit down and try to memorize a vocabulary list and then the grammar rules and then expect to be able to speak. We learn through practice and context of daily life. And because English is the dominant language here in the States, which is a whole separate discussion that that can lead to supremacy culture and discrimination, um, that is not what today's episode is about. It is a conversation that needs to be had. Um, And I will say that the unwillingness to learn a second language is detrimental to one's health. And that's kind of where we're going is obviously that that stress and brain health perspective here. So being uh, bilingual or multilingual, like so many people all over the world are, has many well-studied cognitive benefits, including protecting against degenerative diseases, which we're going to get into a little bit later. So For me, I've always had a fascination with languages, or as long as I can remember anyways, memory is sometimes right. I love the way that language sounds, all of the different types of languages, the different differences in pitch and cadence and structure and how language shapes our understanding of the world around us and ourselves in the world. And that's what we're going to be discussing more of today. I remember kind of a peak in this curiosity when I was living in Ecuador for a short time and thinking about the differences in understanding vocabulary and grammar in a language and understanding the cultural context of the language and how that shapes the ability to truly communicate. And that is what what truly makes a a say a successful communicative transaction, because we can understand the words that someone is saying, and still not understand the meaning that they have associated with them. And that changes 
all the time according to your own lived experience, everyone's individual lived experience. And that's where communication gets really tricky. Even if you are speaking the same language, the context behind the words you use and the meaning that you have assigned to them given your life experience can mean something very, very different. And so language helps us communicate all of these complex thoughts and feelings and experiences that we have. And having access to the right words changes everything. There is a quote by uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein. I am positive I'm not saying that right. So, you know, all of my apologies. He's no longer living. So Um, apologies to just you for having to hear that. Uh, (laughs) The quote says, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. And I love that. Because words give us the ability to turn something abstract into something with boundaries, with a name. And then when we're talking about feelings and emotional experiences, this is everything. If we take stress, for example, this can actually mean, instead of saying, I'm really stressed out, we can actually be feeling disappointed, unfulfilled, feeling resentment overwhelmed, worried, or scared, or even excited. And our understanding of what we are feeling is more effective with better words. Language shapes the experience we have through our emotions being formed from the language we use. It's kind of a feedback. And because language creates meaning, we assign meanings to words and then create our understanding of the world from these words and meanings. So the words we use are assigning meaning and creating our world like a map that we speak aloud and then also to ourselves in our heads. And then these are the directions from this map that your brain and body follow. There are about 7,000 languages in the world that all have different sounds and different structures. And there have been debates over time in whether language shapes our reality or not. And now there is enough scientific studies with data with, you know, advanced technology and whatever else that conclude that yes, in fact, language shapes our perspective and our understanding of life and reality. So this means that the human mind, in all of its incredible ability, has created at least 7000 unique cognitive realities and ideas about the world out there. Meaning yours is not the only one. We all interpret the world according to how our language and culture trains us to. How we speak about things matters. In some languages, we don't have exact number words. So the people who speak this language would have a hard time keeping track of exact quantities without the linguistic trick of number words, which then takes away the ability to enter into things like mathematics, which creates so much in the world, in the physical world around us. So we can see where that would be limiting. There are also languages that have much more specific words for colors than, for example, that we have in English. And it's been shown that changes in the reaction to those colors, in those nuances, show in the brain's reaction time. And this is just one example of how something seemingly small can change our perception and how we choose to navigate because of it. Some languages have gender that very much shapes the understanding and expectations of the people, places, and things that are given that gendered identity. Blame and fault are also shifts throughout language. 
In English, we place the blame on people, even in the case of an accident, which I think is very interesting. She spilled the water. He dropped the glass. In other languages, there's a more passive approach to accidents, making it very clear that there isn't fault. It was an accident. In Spanish, for example, the fact is that it is an accident is much more the focus. It dropped, it fell, the glass broke. So language guides our reasoning and our perspective, and it can have effects on our space and time and our ability to understand cognitive concepts, the smallest perceptual meanings, and it can shape how we view the world in broad matters as well. And unfortunately, linguistic diversity is fading away. It's being taken away. Studies are focused on English-speaking undergraduates, mostly from American universities in the United States. So our understanding of cognitive abilities, if our study focus is a very, very small portion of the human population, is incredibly limited. And as English is becoming a worldwide language, there have been uh, many times throughout history where this has been a goal. Um, I think just being more interconnected through the internet and travel and the world becoming more accessible, this kind of language is spreading, but there are there is a history behind that where English as a language was forced on people, where people were not allowed to speak their native language. And I see this often here in the States, even in people who frequently tell folks to just speak English or get frustrated that there are multiple languages around them that they don't understand. And the thing is, speaking multiple languages is cognitively challenging, and it allows you to have access to the perspectives of those languages because of the differences that we just talked about. So studies of multilingual participants, bilingual participants versus monolingual participants show that there is an elevated rate of cognitive complexity in people who speak multiple languages which makes sense with everything we've just talked about. And there is, through this this nuance in language, there is a rise in empathy, problem solving, cognitive complexity, memory, attention, and sustained cognitive health later in life. There are so many benefits to language and language acquisition. And it seems that language learning boosts brain cells and their potential to form new connections fast. So your ability to learn and adapt is greater when you speak multiple languages. And multiple studies, for instance, have found that bilingualism can protect the brain against Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia better than any current pharmaceutical available. This is really powerful stuff here. The powerful, the power of language um, is used all over the place in how we navigate. And when we look at our internal environment, shifting from the external environment, which is what we've just been talking about, to our internal environment, people like Dr. Dan Siegel Siegel use language, uh, a um, tool, I I could not think of language, a tool that that he, kind of a term that he coined and a tool that he uses, name it to tame it. When we're looking at emotions, Brene Brown says, Shame can't survive the light. 
when we share those things, we have to, we vocalize them, we use language to express these feelings that we're having. We have the vocabulary to be able to name it and express what we are feeling. And until we name something, we may not be aware of it because it's where we're used to being and our attention isn't on that thing anymore because it's become a pattern. So when we name something, when we use the power of language to give something a name, to create it, when we speak something out loud, we're taking this thing that may exist only in our own heads, in our internal environment, and creating something that exists then within a shared environment outside of your body. So naming something, that is fear. I'm feeling fear. This creates space between you and that feeling, which allows you to then interact with that thing. You are not those things. They are an experience you are having that you can interact with, with intention. And many of us did not grow up with an education on emotional vocabulary because many times we learned that only certain emotions were acceptable. Mad, sad, happy. And the language of what words mean and removing the shame, thinking about what feeling we feel okay with and what feeling we don't even have a vocabulary around, this can change your whole perception of yourself, your interactions in the world and the world around you. When we don't hold that shame about how we're feeling because we're able to express it, when we're able to talk about feelings in a very specific way, because we have that vocabulary around it, it changes the way that we are able to navigate, the way that we are able to interact with these experiences that we're having and the way that we are able to express ourselves and interact and connect with the people around us. There is a uh, feelings worksheet that I will, it's not like worksheet, it's um, just a, a list that I will link in the show notes that can be very useful when growing our feeling vocabulary. So not naming something like depression or grief is really common. I see this in older generations, but it still is very, very prevalent because those are things that just were not talked about. There was shame around those things. There was, there was like taboo. We didn't talk about feelings that weren't I don't know, good, whatever we deem is good, which is a whole other conversation. But people will describe the symptoms of those things because the symptoms are okay. But that word, depression, anxiety, grief, sadness, they weren't allowed because they weren't useful, I guess it was thought. Um, It turns out they are incredibly useful and we have to process them. But instead of saying these things because people would just I've heard so many times, like with my own family, just, oh, it doesn't do any good to complain. And there's a difference between expressing yourself and complaining. But instead of using these words because they weren't allowed, the symptoms, I'm exhausted. I don't feel like doing anything. My body hurts. I've got a headache that won't go away. These types of things would be expressed. And when we ask on a daily basis, how are you? And we respond, I'm good. I'm fine. We practice such dismissive language around our experience. Studies show that people with a greater emotional differentiation show a longer, more agile and health-filled life. So when we have specific feelings that our brain can identify, there are then options and choices in how you deal with that emotional state. 
rather than a vague understanding of how we're feeling. And our body then just responds with an overall stress response. Because thoughts created by words have a specific meaning. And those meanings have cascading physiological effects on our body, which is in constant communication about what response is needed and how we are feeling, our level of safety. The words that we choose to think and say aloud are providing information to our brain and body about how to respond in any given situation. And so then being able to identify that I'm not just angry, but I'm angry because I feel hurt and I feel hurt because I feel ignored is much more useful, much more specific and gives us somewhere to, to go, gives us something we can take action on rather than just I'm pissed off and I'm just going to be mad. That's not very useful. And it's not actually helping us to process what is going on. We can't manage or navigate something if we don't understand it. And when we build more awareness around our state of being and our own experience, we can then have more compassion for ourselves. And once we have that understanding of the complexity that exists and the ability to hold that compassion for ourselves, then, and only then, we are able to extend that to others as well. We are emotional beings and we can't connect with others past the point to which we can connect with ourselves. And understanding how to make sense of that through language is how we connect to others as well. And connection is a fundamental piece in our well-being. We know that loss of connection to ourselves and to others is what leads to the issues we see in depression, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, shame. And knowing that the language you speak, the words you choose, shapes the way that you think, you can then stop and ask yourself the questions, how can I think differently? What thoughts do I wish to create? Brene Brown has um, kind of a framework that she uses around, around vocabulary, emotional vocabulary specifically. And it is curiosity, getting curious about like, what, what is this? And that's where that list of feelings in that worksheet that I'm going to link can be useful. It's been super useful for me to branch out from the mad, sad, happy trio that I was very familiar with. There's so many other feelings out there. What are they? Get curious and then identify them and then allow them to exist without trying to push them away. And then once we do it, once we have done that, we can take action. What is the action step? What am I needing? What is it that I need to address this? to heal this, to recognize this. I'm going to leave it there for today. There's so much more that can be said about language, but the main point I want to get across is that our language shapes our understanding of ourselves and the world around us. And thoughts are created by words, which create a cascade of physiological effects into your body, affecting how you feel and how you navigate the world. And we cannot manage or navigate something that we don't understand. So... Thank you for joining me on this 100th episode milestone for brain body resilience. And my challenge to you is to look at that feelings list and then practice identifying what you are feeling, getting specific throughout the week, and just start there. Just start noticing and expanding that vocabulary. As always, I am incredibly grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here. If you found this episode useful, please share it with someone who uh, can also use this information. And until next week, I hope that you're 
days are filled with pretty little things. I will be here next week. See you then. Peace out.